Folks, I want to welcome you to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Hayburn building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville. That's 106.5 FM. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. If, if you click on a button, uh, we're live streaming now, and you can listen to us uh, from anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. So, folks, uh, we've got a great guest for you today, Steve Gardner. Say hello to the people, Steve. Hey, people. Nice to be here. So, but before we get to our interview, we just want to remind everyone that uh, Forward Radio went on the air on April 9th, 2017, and we need your help to keep us on the air for another five years. We are marking this momentous occasion with a pledge drive from March 27th through April 9th. We need to raise $5,000, and you can pick up some fabulous, one-of-a-kind thank-you gifts when you donate at forwardradio.org only during the drive. Then join us to celebrate on Saturday, April 9th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Tim Faulkner Gallery for a fifth anniversary party with food, drinks, live music, and speakers. Don't miss it. And that is... Uh, location for the Tim Faulkner Gallery is 991 Logan Street. 991 Logan Street. Free party on Saturday, April the 9th. So, uh, Steve, uh, you're wearing your uh, Veterans for Peace hat today. Yeah, that's right. I'm the president of Local Chapter 168 Veterans for Peace here in Louisville. So tell us about uh, that organization. Veterans for Peace has been around since the, uh, since the 90s, early 90s, and is an organization of veterans and their supporters who work for peace in the world, who reject militarism, who reject imperialism, who reject violence as, a, uh, as a anything other than the, the last of last resorts. In any case in which someone is not literally defending themselves, we as an organization say, no, as people who've seen war, as people who have friends and family who have lived through war, as people who in some cases, perhaps in many cases, have committed acts of violence, we say, no. So, so uh, folks, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, is it almost a month that uh uh, Ukraine has been going on? That's right, just a month now. And so my position uh, uh, today is that uh, so uh, 10 wrongs don't make a right. And uh, where I'm going with that is that I hear a lot of people saying that uh, it's the United States' fault that Putin uh, in invaded the Ukraine. And what they're saying is that uh, because of essentially the Monroe Doctrine, for instance, uh, where the United States claims to, uh, you know, Latin America, the Americas itself as its sphere of influence, and the United States has, uh, you know, invaded uh, Latin America more than several times and overthrown governments and installed dictators in Latin America that because the United States has done this type of thing over and over again, that that somehow justifies Putin. Uh, so I, what I'm saying is that 10 wrongs don't make a right. That is, uh, the fact the United States did these you know, terrible wrong things in the past doesn't justify what Putin is doing today. And I also want to say that with the natural resources and human resources of South Central America, 
There's no reason where South and Central America should not have the economic, political, and military power of Western Europe. The only reason it doesn't is because the United States has suppressed the development of South and Central America. And what that has caused is the economic and political collapse of um, various countries in South and uh, Central America. And that is why you have the human migration coming from South to North. That is, now that is a fact. That is, uh, the people wouldn't be coming here if we hadn't destroyed the ability of them to have to live uh, safe, useful working lives in the countries where they're from in South Central America. But again, 10 wrongs don't make a right. Uh, my I, uh, position is this is Putin's war. Not even necessarily Russia's war. This is Putin's war. And he needs to be forced to take responsibility for it. That is blaming in the United States. Uh, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. The Cold War itself, the idea of the Cold War is that the political and economic systems of the West and East would compete without going to war. And what has happened is that for countries in what we call Eastern Europe, the Western system seems to be more a little bit more attractive than what Putin and Russia have to offer. That's why they're joining NATO. That's why they want to be a part of the EU. So people are essentially voting with their feet. And so uh, Putin doesn't have a right to say, oh, well, you can't join NATO. Uh, he doesn't have a right to say that. So that's where I'm at, but I want to hear what, where Veterans for Peace is at. Well, I mean, I think in many ways we have a similar position. Our bottom line is that an invasion uh, of any country, whatever the provocation is, whatever you can say it is, is pretty much never justified. You, you have to really make something like a very, very special case to... Um, to, to justify an invasion, for example, a previous invasion in the other direction or something like that. Um, and even then, uh, the kinds of violence that are being perpetrated in Ukraine, though not yet as bad as things were in Georgia or have been in, say, Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, nonetheless, uh, are not warranted by the threat posture that the United States and NATO poses uh, for for Russia, I mean, there's no world in which anyone was imagining a NATO invasion of Russia. It was never going to happen. On the other hand, this is complicated. We don't have to celebrate American exceptionalism in order to condemn Russian aggression in this case. The two, the world is intertwined. They're not. They're not easily separable, but in terms of our moral judgment and what we should do as a matter of policy as a country, uh, these, are, these are separate things. And the other piece of this, though, is that condemning and having a certain amount of support for Ukraine's struggle is different than going all in with saying, oh, this, this justifies a new Cold War with Russia. This justifies vastly increased military bu uh, budgets because Russia is so dangerous, and so on and so on. This justifies uh, sort of a, a new cultural of, culture of nationalism. Veterans for Peace and, and myself, speaking for myself, I would say, no, that's not justified. We deal with this as an instance of something wrong in the world that's being done by one of the most authoritarian countries in the world, which is Russia under Putin. Yes, uh, 
so whenever Obama, President Obama, was asked about Putin, former President Obama was asked about Putin and Russia, his response, his standard response, and because uh, I heard him say it, I heard him. <laughs> so he would say, uh, well, Russia uh, has an economy uh, about the size of Italy. This is what he would say off the cuff, as if to say that he didn't consider Russia to be sort of a threat to the United States because of the size of its economy. So what I did is I, I looked up uh, the economies, and this is uh, top 25 economies. Uh, one is the United States. Two is China. Three is Japan. Four is Germany. Five, United Kingdom. Six, India. Seven, France. Eight, Italy. Nine, Canada. 10, South Korea, 11, Russia, 12, Brazil, 13, Australia, 14, Spain, 15, Mexico, 16, Indonesia. So if you look at Putin's economy, it's not as big as Italy. So uh, uh, Obama was actually off by uh, uh, two countries. <laughs> so uh, uh, South Korea... And Canada, uh, uh, you know, so it seems that in his goal to be respected and feared as a great power, it seems that Putin, as as they say in Texas, would be uh, all hat and no cattle. Uh, he doesn't have what it takes uh, to be a great power. Uh, and so... If you have people, for instance, in the Ukraine or Georgia, uh, other countries that want to join uh, the quote-unquote West because they think the system is more attractive, for whatever reason, the idea of shooting them uh, is just not acceptable in the 21st century. I'm not sure people can, can put up with that. Uh, uh, that it seems to me what Putin would do is try to make his economic and political and social system more attractive instead of shooting people who don't like it. Uh, that's what I would recommend. Now, I'm separate separating the people of Russia and Putin. That is, I think that NATO could crack open the Russian army like a rotten egg, but I'm not interested in that because I don't think that the Russian people deserve it. I think the, the Russian army is made up of poorly paid, poorly motivated, poorly led conscripts. Uh, and I hate to see them dying uh, in an unworthy cause. Uh, I think that uh, Ukraine... And the West should offer uh, EU, Western, uh, somehow citizenship for any Russian soldier that surrenders. Uh, uh, any uh, Russian airman that lands uh, his or her airplane in the West should be rewarded because we've done things like that before. So I'm not interested in 
uh, destroying Russia, the Russian people, or the Russian army. I, I, th I think that the problem is Putin. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, of course, Russia's claim to, to great power status comes on th really around three issues. One is history, which I'll come back to in a second. The second is resources, even though the economy is that not that large. The, the natural resources in Russia, which of course by far the largest country in, in, that touches Europe and, and in fact the largest country in the world, um, uh, is far, far greater than any country in, in, in Europe and uh, in some ways exceeds even those of the United States, the natural resources. And then of course they have a crap ton of nuclear weapons. Um, and this is a fact that cannot be elided or, or slipped around or, or forgotten uh, at, at any moment. And we don't have to think of Vladimir Putin as some kind of madman to, to keep this in check. Because from a, a purely um, strategic point of view, if you set aside the human cost, remembering that the United States is the only country that has ever used nuclear weapons, um, you can see that he can imagine a situation where he would think it would be okay to use a tac tactical nuclear weapon in the field and that the West might not respond with an all-out ass assault. Um, the old order of mutually assured destruction has deteriorated, at least to a certain extent, since the heyday of the Cold War. I'm gonna go back to the history because one of the issues that we have is that in some, some ways we have a, a parallel with what was happening during the Cold War, but really we have a situation more chaotic, multi-sided alliances and international entanglements similar to what we saw at the beginning of the 20th century in 1914, just before the First World War, where one act of aggression could potentially trigger a multilateral conflagration, a multilateral war. Always to keep in mind, though, that when we're talking about the Russian army, as being poorly motivated. We should remember that they're poorly motivated to go and invade Ukraine. Remembering back to what happened during the Second World War when the Soviet Union um, and largely Russia bearing the, bearing the brunt of it, U Ukraine the second largest portion of the fight against the Nazis. The, the Soviet losses in the Second World War were somewhere, be somewhere between 20 and 30 million people. To put that in perspective, the US lost about a half a million. Oh, there, there's no question, folks. I know folks who, you, you watched a lot of movies. It was the Red Army that broke the back of the German Army. The, the German Army's back was broken on the Eastern Front. No question about it. And we've got to give them credit for that. And the only point there being is that they might be more motiva motivated if they were defending themselves than if uh, they're engaged in a, in a, um, a war of aggression in a neighboring uh, country where there doesn't seem to be any clear end game other than the uh, aggrandizement of the Putin government. Exactly. And so the, to me, the real question is how can we communicate to the peoples of the world, including Russia, that the way to compete is economic and culturally. Uh, that is, when you try to use force, uh, well, Putin's behavior, it doesn't actually remind me of a great power of the 19th century. It kind of reminds me the same mentality of North Korea 
Uh, more have like North North Korea has a tiny economy. If you look at the, it's interesting. You look at South Korea. You look at the people of South Korea are getting taller and heavier because they've been eating well uh, for for twenty or thirty years. So you see Koreans walking around five foot ten, five foot eleven, stocky, uh, well fed, healthy. You look at North Korea. Uh, 99% of the people are skinny, except for the leader, who's, who's chunky. Uh, the leader of North Korea, he obviously, he's the only one that gets a, gets three squares a day. So uh, it's, North Korea, you know, jangles its weapons a lot, uh, jangles its nuclear weapons. Uh, but who wants to live in North Korea? No one. Uh, so... Uh, uh, that uh, so Putin's behavior as sort of jangling his weapons, it kind of reminds one not as a 19th century great power, but as a 21st century failed state, i.e. North Korea, i.e. Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. What for? I don't know. Uh, you know, what Pakistan needs is a country that functions, right? Uh, they don't have one. So uh, the only thing Pakistan does well is support terrorism in Afghanistan. So, uh, so, uh, so, so how can we persuade uh, folk, persuade people that uh, to compete in other ways besides militarily? Not that the United States does any better because at the end of the Cold War, the United States decided to uh, you know, a feeling they had no uh, opponent. You know, uh, you know, spend a lot of time and and uh, create a lot of havoc in the Middle East. Uh, so, so not the United States has clean hands, but uh, but no, you know, uh, but what do you think that the world should do? Well, it, it, in some ways, of course, it's a question above my pay grade. But I have some thoughts about what won't work. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, in. From Russia's point of view, from Putin's point of view, what he has done is handed NATO in particular a kind of organizing principle. The coalition had become weaker, especially under the Trump administration, which really didn't care for it. But ever since the end of the uh, end of the Cold War, there's been talk everywhere um, in Europe about what is the purpose of maintaining NATO if Russia really isn't a threat by increasing its threat posture, it's suddenly reunited the Atlantic uh, Alliance and drawn the Western countries uh, closer together culturally around um, the possibility of imposing real economic sanctions on Russia, which I I'm not a big believer in sanctions. I t tend to think that they hurt ordinary people more than they hurt billionaires or uh, CEOs or presidents. But um, nonetheless, uh, um, from uh, a strategic point of view, the end game here for, for Putin isn't really clear, though people are uh, smart people, some are saying, look, what this is going to mean is a hard pivot for Russia away from the rest and towards China. And we're very likely to see a um, much invigorated Russian-Chinese alliance going forward. 
So, uh, folks, just remember that uh, Forward Radio went on the air on April 9th, 2017, and we need your help to keep us on the air for another five years. We've got the pledge drive going from March 27th through April 9th. We're trying to raise $5,000, and you got to support what you love. If you like what you're listening to on 106.5, uh, 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 go to forwardradio.org and uh, give. And then we got the free party on Saturday, April the 9th to, from 1 to 4 at the Tim Faulkner Gallery. Uh, and that's food, drinks, live music, and speakers. Don't miss it. 991 Logan Street, uh, Saturday, April 9th from 1 to 4. Uh, so, folks, we're here with Stephen Gardner of Veterans for Peace, and we've been talking about uh, uh, what's going on in the uh, 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 Ukraine uh, so you mentioned uh, uh, Germany has decided to, uh, you know, up its military budget. Uh, uh, studies of combat performance in World War II, uh, German army uh, mathematically uh, superior to all others uh, as far as uh, 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 combat performance. Uh, so uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think a small uptick in the German military spending is uh, is not that large of an issue. Um, I, I think that some kind of increasing internationalism that doesn't depend solely on the United States projecting power and making nuclear threats is probably ultimately a, a good thing. Also, I think that you know the withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan, where NATO allies of the United States were heavily involved, um, without much consultation, was uh, was difficult for the alliance. So again, this uh, the situation in Ukraine actually creates an opportunity for reinvigorating internationalism. However, I think. Uh, to the extent that it is pursued um, beyond what is necessary. I mean, I think it will easily exceed its moral mandate if it becomes if it becomes seen as a secondary aggressor. I, I think, you know, that there are those on the left, in particular in the United States, who are wanting to see it that way to begin with. My personal take would be that um, that we need multilateral alliances that are Diplomacy first, diplomacy second, diplomacy third, military options uh, way down the list, and, and think about them uh, ten times uh, so that uh, so that we don't increase the number of wrongs we have on our side. So I would hate the um, for the American people or people all over the world to hate Russia and hate Russians. I mean, the Ukrainians do. I mean, they have a right to the way they've been treated, and so they are developing a, a deep and abiding hate for Russia and Russians. Uh, but I just don't think it's the Russian people's fault uh, this time. I really don't. So what is your opinion of the level of support in Russia for what is going on? Well, this is more than just Putin's war. Um, this is a war of a significant nationalist and ultra-nationalist and, and far-right uh, faction of the Russian population. Nothing like a majority, however. I mean, it's difficult to get put precise numbers in it. I would estimate it based on uh, various uh, sources I've looked at, somewhere between 30 and 45 percent of the population is four square in favor of this, either 
because uh, it's personally beneficial to them, because they're close to the administration, um, the, the regime, uh, because they're ideological nationalists um, or ultra-nationalists trying to increase the sphere of Russian influence and feeling a degree of humiliation after the collapse of the, the Soviet Union. Um, but that's still nothing like a, a majority of the of the Russian uh, people. So yes, I would say, even as as an American who has lived overseas 14 years of my life, um, including many times and in many places, including in Pakistan, including at, in the United Arab Emirates, um, as well as Germany and um, other places as well, uh, many times where people would come up to me and say, well, what about George Bush? What about uh, whatever it was? And they would say, look, we don't blame you but your country's foreign and military policy is killing us. Um, and uh, in some cases, you know, I had people come up to me and tell me this who'd, who'd literally had family members killed by American bombs, and yet they were still willing to say, it's not you, it's not the American people for the most part. And I would have to say, you know, it's not most American people, but there are plenty, too many, who believe in this kind of aggressive uh, violence-first approach to foreign policy. So uh, we know that uh, decapitation doesn't necessarily work in uh, the war against uh, uh, the war on terror against, for instance, Islamic fundamentalism. We know that decapitation doesn't really work in the war on drugs, for instance. We know that it doesn't work because, uh, you know, the United States efforts, for instance, it's we've sort of hollowed out the economies of so many countries that the people feel in Latin America that, uh, you know, as they say, uh, uh, drugs go north and the money comes south. So, uh, but uh, in the Russia situation, uh, from a political science point of view, uh, or do you think the political sciences think that decapitation would work? It depends on the on the situation. I mean, mm -hmm. it's perfectly possible to make a martyr out of someone like like Putin mm -hmm. if you if it were done at a moment. I'm going to say why I think we should never do this, but um, but from a purely tactical point of view, if you do it at the moment when he's been thoroughly humiliated and discredited, then at that point you're doing uh, doing a favor for those who were about to to try to launch a coup anyway. Mm -hmm. um, However, if you do it in a moment where it seems like he's standing up to the West and he's uh, able to present himself like this, and this goes back to that World War II thing I was talking about, mm -hmm. the the presentation of uh, the Russian people standing against a belligerent Western power, which is how they saw Germany, mm -hmm. um, and taking the brunt of the damage, this still has a lot of cachet in, 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 in Russia. This is mm -hmm. an identity that lots of people can identify with. I, I don't think that unless it were at a very key moment, and of course it would be better if um, the Russian people themselves decided they were done with Putin. Now, I will say even in an ideal situation why we shouldn't do it, assassination is a policy that can be pursued by anyone. And from a purely, again, strategic point of view, set aside the morality, um, from a strategic point of view, um, there isn't uh, a military in the world that could successfully invade the United States. But there's any number of powers that could um, uh, launch, launch an assassination attempt against American leaders. Mm -hmm. So uh, what about uh, 
Ukraine launching offensive operations inside the territory of Russia? I think that this puts us back into the kind of situation that we saw in uh, the beginning of the, the First World War. I mean, strategically, of course, uh, um, Ukrainian forces, for example, that attacked uh, across the border into Russia and then, say, retreated into Poland or, or uh, Romania, um, this would be, uh, from a purely military point of view of attempting to drag outside powers into the conflict, this would be brilliant. But in terms of the consequences, um, I, it's not something I would advise. At this point, uh, the Ukrainians, in, in spite of you know not being a perfect country, they're, where, where Russia is most um, one of the most authoritarian countries in the world, Ukraine is only about um, a, a couple of steps up from that. This is not a full-blown democracy by any any sense, not that the United States is either, but in relative terms, um, Ukraine still has lots of problems with its politics. Um, but anyway, uh, I think attacks on Russia would be a catastrophic uh, um, uh, uh, misstep for Ukraine. At this point, it would lose them a lot of support from, uh, from the West. So folks, we've been here with uh, Stephen Gardner, of uh, Veterans for Peace. So, Stephen, uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, K.A. I love being here. Folks, back next week. <laughs>